have your Bibles. Let's hold them up. I'm a child of God. I have in my hand the powerful Word of God. It can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. And so here's our prayer. Lord Jesus, today, would you speak to me? In Jesus' name, amen. I did that down at Dallas Christian College this past Tuesday, and thank you for your prayers. It went very, very well. I asked my son, and of course I'm his dad, so he probably lied to me, but he said it was, uh, if not the best, one of the best that they had all year. So I thought, oh, okay. But anyway, uh, I, I did that little thing trying to relax myself in front of all those college students and, and professors that I went to school with. You know, it's just, it can be intimidating when you're in the presence of those folks, but uh I got to the prayer part, and they just and they all bowed their heads, thinking that they were going to listen to me pray. And Mark kept talking; <laughs> he was the only one that knew what he was supposed to do. And so I said, "Oh no, no, no! You're supposed to join me in this prayer." So it worked out great. I challenged them as I did back in February with you to maybe write down a secret sin and, and let's turn it over to the Lord. And as many of you brought them to the cross, I've been praying over those, by the way, for uh, ever since then. And uh, I asked, asked these young people, these college students, if they wouldn't mind doing that and if they, if they would care to do it. We had a couple of baskets at the front for them to bring those up to. And uh, 86 of those children brought things up to the front and folded them and just I said, no name on them. Uh, one, one young lady wrote in there, I've had an abortion. Uh, she needed that burden lifted. Uh, others talked about just being complacent and uh, still searching for the will of God. Uh, often uh, numerous, numerous notes about sexual impurities that were in their life. Uh, Satan's alive and well, folks. Working on our young people and uh, our adults. He's just alive and well in every facet. So let's, let's work at him. Let's, let's get him off kilter. Amen? And keep him off kilter. Amen. Today I want to talk to you about every team needs a coach. Encouraging fathers to step up to the plate. We read our passages, our text in Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. And I will refer back to it as we go along. But it's important that every, every team have a coach. Several years ago, a team of New York State sociologists attempted to calculate the influence of a father's life upon his family and the future generations. The study included two men from the 18th century, Jonathan Edwards and Max Jukes. Max Jukes rejected Christianity. He chose a life of unprincipled behavior, and he was a criminal. And among his 1,200 descendants, it broke down like this. 440 lives uh, uh, that, that were lived of outright debauchery, 310 paupers and vagrants, 190 public prostitutes, 130 convicted criminals, 100 alcoholics, 60 habitual thieves, 55 victims of impurity, and 7 murderers. Now this is back in the 18th century. And this research team concluded that, that not one of Max Jukes' known relatives ever made a significant contribution to society. This notorious family actually cost the state of New York $1,200,000 in incarceration fees, legal fees. I flip the coin to Jonathan Edwards. 
regarded as one of the most brilliant and influential men of American history, a gifted pastor, exceptional theologian. Edwards preached, his preaching ignited the flame that led to the Great Awakening. And he later served as the president of Princeton College. Among his male descendants were 300 clergymen, missionaries, or theology professors, 120 college professors, 60 doctors, 60 authors, 30 judges, 14 college presidents, numerous giants in American industry, three U.S. congressmen, one vice president of the United States. What a legacy. What a legacy. Every parent leaves a legacy. That's what that story tells us. Every parent. Families like teams need a coach. We must never underestimate the power of parental influence. Now at 13, children flip a switch and they don't listen, it seems, to parents. But parents still have an influence. You're the ones that shut off the credit card. Why they have it in the first place, I don't know. You're the one that shut off the cell phone. Why they have it, I don't know. You're the one that takes the keys from the car. Why they have it, I don't know. You're the one that takes the stereo away. You're the one that takes the cable away. You're the one that takes the internet connection away. Why they have that stuff, I don't know. We should do with all teenagers like Mark Twain said. Put them in a barrel. Seal the barrel. Feed them through the knot hole. And at 16, plug the knot hole. These teenagers on the front end, what? <laughs> okay. Was he talking about us? We have an exceptional group here on the front row, amen? All except our children, of course, here. Give them everything. Give them everything. It's amazing, though, if you take a cell phone away from a child, they, they, they sit there in their sleep with their thumbs doing this. And nothing, they're not touching on anything, but they're pushing, they're text messaging somebody somewhere. Oof. A friend of mine, his son was at the dentist's office. Hello? Perfect timing. You know what we ought to do is answer that and say, hey, we're in church. You want to join us? That'd be fun. Oh, my goodness. It may be a very serious call. I shouldn't do that. But every parent has influence. The Bible promises that God will not be mocked because a man reaps what he sows. In Galatians 6 and verse 7. Jonathan Edwards sowed righteousness. His family reaped the benefit. Today we should rejoice because we can employ those same principles adopted by Jonathan Edwards. You don't have to be one of the most brilliant minds in the world to positively influence your children, but you must be willing to follow biblical principles as outlined in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Jeff, can we go back to those verses? Is that possible? Is that a big, big... Big chore. I know you can do it. You're a miracle worker. Look at that guy. Fade out and come in. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. You want to live to be an old person, young, young people? Honor your father and mother. Well, I don't like them. 
didn't say anything about liking. Well, they're unreasonable. Didn't say anything about being reasonable. Honor your father and mother. So when they say take out the trash, hop to it. Now here's here's what'll happen, young people. If you begin to obey your parents and honor them and show them, you're gonna be you're gonna live a long life because they're gonna die early. Because they're not gonna be used to young people responding in obedience to them at all. Hey, clean up your room. Done. They're down. And while they're down, clean out their wallet. Glory to God. You know. I'm sorry, I'm giving away trade secrets. Excuse me. Okay, let's move on. Uh, this text, Ephesians 6, it's a continuation of Paul's teaching on the filling of the Spirit that is introduced in chapter 5. But it's worth reading and worth noting that being filled with the Spirit affects relationships. More than just obscure language, hidden language, or ecstatic experiences. The Holy Spirit of God shows clearly divine qualities that in everyday relationships that you and I must use and employ. It's insightful teaching. Identifies the Spirit's ministry in marriage, in work relationships, in parent-child relationships. And our focus today will be on the father's role in leading his family. There are dads that should be here to hear this message, so you make sure that they log on to the website and hear this message next week. First point I want to make to you is that dads, you must embrace the priority. With the strongest terminology possible, the instruction that's given to fathers in verse 4 is stated as a present active imperative command. Fathers are not encouraged to lead their children. They are exhorted. They're commanded. Don't stir up your up anger and to bring them up. Dads, don't exasperate them. Don't stir them up to anger. Dads are good at that. They're picking it. They like to pick. That's what my boys hated about me, I know, is that I would never let it go. Every chance I got, I would... Finally, finally, one of them had enough courage to say, That's what I don't like about you! To which I would go, Really? I'm writing that one down. They don't like this. Okay. But see, dads, we tend to do that. We'll needle at them. We'll, if they make a mistake, we'll go, Well, yeah, well, I didn't fall through the window. <laughs> well, I didn't get a speeding ticket. I had to deal with Mark on that just not too long ago. He said, Dad, I came off the turnpike and I, I didn't slow down. I said, no joke. When you're near Glenpool, you shouldn't be doing 85 miles an hour. He didn't quite get it until we got the ticket. And I called and found out how much the ticket was. I think he got it. It was fun. Fatherlessness is the most harmful demographic trend that affects our society. There's numerous studies and statistics out there, but let me give you one. According to a Time Magazine report, 
70% of all juveniles in state correctional institutions come from fatherless homes. Dads carry weight. The, the phrase I hated more than anything was my mother would say, wait till your... Ooh, your mother said the same thing to you. And, and it was like this dark cloud hanging over your head all day long. And you knew it. And you watched the clock and it got closer and you're going... And you dreamed up these, you know, you're going to put on the rack and stretch. Ah, you can hear your ribs cracking. Ah, and you know that he's going to come with a big stick and start to beat on your ribs. Bam, bam. What are you doing? Bam. Iron mask. You know, ah, all these visions of this ogre. And then he drives up and you hear the car. You begin to sweat. You, you, you want to hide. You go to your closet. You get your little Freddy hole and you're trying to hide. Ah. And he opens the door and your mom goes over and just whispers. She doesn't yell. She doesn't scream. She doesn't point fingers. She just whispers. She hugs him and she whispers. And then they break the embrace. And this, this glowing man whose wife met him at the door suddenly becomes death on feet. And he undoes his belt and you hear that. <laughs> and you know, you know that you're not a cat. Because if you were, nine lives were gone. <laughs> and then you can hear that, that uh, what, what is that, uh, not Marilyn Elmshire, what is that song? <laughs> you know, and you know they've got to fix it. Get up! And here he comes with the belt. And he usually takes you to the room because he doesn't want anybody to see you cry. And you know what happens. He puts the belt down on the bed and hits the bed and just kind of says, hey, man, how's it going? <laughs> and now what happened at your house? I didn't think so either. It, it was worth a shot. Oh. But the alarming reality is that in many homes where the father is present, he's failed to effectively lead his family. Stu Weber is a, an author. And he, he writes a lot about men and dads and how what their roles are. Uh, in fact, put a book together called Tender Warriors. But he attributes much of the failure of the, to the devaluing of the significance of being a father. Let me lift a quote from this book. I am referring to the highest office in the land. And no, I don't mean the presidency of the United States, nor the presidency of any inter international conglomerate, nor the chairman of any board. I believe the greatest position a man can hold is his office as head of the home. A man's greatest title is not Dr. So-and-so, or Professor, or General, or Mr. President. The highest office in the land is not the White House. It is your house. Dads, take control of your house. My kids won't listen. Beat them. Beat them. The Bible says, spoil the rod, spoil the child. <laughs> You're kidding it. What does it mean to spare it? Hold it back. Beat the belt on the bed. Mom thinks I'm beating you. Act like you're crying. Oh, okay. All right, that's good. Uh-uh. 
Now, I do not mean, I can already see people going, beat them? Preacher, what are you talking about? You want me to kill my child? I know there's days it goes right through your mind. It does. It does. If we were in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, and your child disobeyed you, you had complete freedom by law to have them stoned to death right outside the city. Praise God we're in the New Covenant. Amen. That way all of us are still here today. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm with you. Embrace the priority, men. Secondly, enforce protection. Two qualifying terms describe how a father is to bring up children in verse 4. In the Holman Bible uh, Study Bible, the translation says training and instruction. In the NIV, it uses discipline and instruction. And these contemporary translations communicate the discipline associated with training for an athletic event. If you were to fast forward to 1 Timothy 4, 7, it compares athletic training to spiritual training. Believers are challenged to train yourself in godliness. The Greek word that's in 1 Timothy 4, 7 is uh, gymnasia, from which we get our word gymnasium. Gymnasia is not the word, however, found in Ephesians 6 and verse 4. That word is padia. The primary meaning of that word is physical correction administered by someone in authority. Padia is often translated chastisement. And Hebrews 12 is translated as discipline. So in other words, the hands-on correction includes spanking, but should not be limited to just spanking. Hands-on correction or comfort can be holding a child's hand when you're crossing the street. It can be demonstrated by how to hit or catch a baseball. Or embracing a child who's afraid. These are all word pictures that fit this correction issue. Because you can hold your child and reassure them that the booger man's not over there in the closet. I love the one commercial where the girl's scared and the dad comes in. And she's afraid of the monsters in the closet. And he starts to go to the closet and he looks and sees these antioxidant glasses of juice laid out all over the floor. Because the monster can't get over that antioxidant juice to get to her. And then the lights go out and you hear her say, Dad, put that back. Because <laughs> he's just going to take a cup, of, a cup of antioxidant drink and go with it. But when you bring children up, it requires physical punishment. Follow Bible guidelines. I am not saying beat your kid. I'm not saying hurt your child. But I am saying don't be afraid to discipline your child. Some people say, I don't believe in spanking. No problem. That's certainly your prerogative to go with that direction. You can, you can reason with them if you want to. It's hard to reason with a 5-year-old. It's hard to reason with a 13-year-old. It's sometimes hard to reason with a 16-year-old. I'm having difficulty you know, reasoning with a 45-year-old. Because sometimes they're just not reasonable at all. I've got a 26-year-old and he's unreasonable. Thank God he's married and I don't really have to deal with him anymore. But he's got my granddaughter and he better be doing it right or I'm going to hammer him. Well, actually, I'm going to take her away because he can't have her. She'll be old enough one day where she'll want to come see G-Daddy. You watch. They always want to come to my house. Because I have cell phones and cars and all that. You just give it to them, don't you? Spoil them. Send them home. 
she and I, boy, we're all right. Already. I can get her on the webcam. I said, Kelsey. Well, she's looking for G-Dad, you know. <laughs> Correction should be administered. First of all, early. Early. Proverbs 19, 8 says, discipline while there is still hope. <laughs> be swift. Don't say, don't put it off for days. If, there, if there's a mistake been made and you're ready to share discipline, get on it. Secondly, do it consistently. Do not hold discipline back. Proverbs 23, 13. Do it painfully. Hebrews 12, 11. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Yes. That's in context referring to how God loves you and me. When He disciplines us. It's not pleasant. It never is. When you have to look in the mirror and face that old guy that's in there that's doing the wrong things, you don't want him. I don't want to deal with it, but you got to deal with it. Amen? See, God doesn't bring a paddle and swat us, does He? But boy, He pricks us in the heart. He convicts our spirits. Hurts just as deeply. And that may be what works with your child. Some parents can just talk to their kids and it crushes them. It's okay. Whatever works. And then lastly, lovingly. Revelation 3.19 says, The Lord disciplines those He loves. So young people, when your parents get on to you, when your parents discipline you, don't look at them as the mean, old, ugly people that they, that they may appear at the moment because they're only doing this because they love you. My dad used to say, this is going to hurt me a whole lot worse than it does you. And in my mind, I never said it out loud, but in my mind, I always said, well, let me have that board. I'll beat you and it ain't going to bother me at all. <laughs> but now that I are a parent or was a parent raising children, I never will forget that, that my first time I spanked Jeff, that, that phrase just went boop. You ever said, I'll never say that about my kids. And then all of a sudden, you, that phrase just comes right out. <laughs> Spooky, isn't it? See, God takes that stuff down. And you get, when we say our kids will never act that way, God writes that down, puts it in the chip when they're born. Boop, so they act just that way. See, and then you back up and repent, and then God brings a blessing in your house. Embrace the priority. Enforce protection. Thirdly, engage the process. Another aspect of training and instruction is the requirement of the father to participate. Godly fathers are engaged in the process of leading their children. You can inform from a distance, but you influence through personal involvement. I admire dads that are right on the sideline, right, on the, right in the stands, right at the fence line. That's the way you're supposed to be. You don't have to be the coach. Cindy always said, you can't coach. I said, why? She said, because you get too carried away. I said, just because I'm beating the umpire up, that's no big deal. My kid was safe. He was out. I'll knock him out to prove he was safe. I figure if that umpire's out of the game, he can't call him out again. Amen. You know. But I do. I get carried away. I get to yelling and screaming and all that if I'm the if I'm the coach. Especially if the kid's not playing right. I'm just, what's wrong? Watch out. My bane's popping out. It's easier for me to sit behind the fence and just say, man, go get him, brother. You're doing great. He may be the worthless player on the team. But you don't tell him that, do you? Unless you're one of those kind of dads. You've seen them, haven't you? They're so critical. They'll sit at the field. God, where did you learn to play ball? My God, you're not one of my boys. My God. Get over yourself. See, we've got to be encouragers. We've got to be influencers. On Mother's Day, some kids made a card for mom. The outside was decorated with simple drawings and colored with crayons. The teenage daughter wrote the text on the inside of the card. It said, just for you on Mother's Day. Relax. Put your feet up. Read the paper. Drink a cup of coffee. Enjoy your favorite TV show. Don't cook. Don't clean. Don't iron. Today is your day to do what makes you happy. In other words, just pretend you're dead. 
Easy, easy. <laughs> I can hear that bell going, okay. <laughs> the verb translated bring up, it's a present active tense. It's in present active tense, which means the activity is current and it's ongoing. So when it says bring them up, do it all the time. You're always looking for a way to teach, always looking for a way to instruct, always looking for a way to encourage, always looking for a way to be an, a helper in their life. A father's influence increases when he is close to the process of guiding children and the influence decreases if a father's removed from the daily task of parenting. I would, you, I would have you consider the difference in the percentage of free throws made in a, in a basketball game compared to the three-point shots that are made. Even an average free throw percentage is around 75%. But an excellent three-point percentage is only 40%. You watch professional golf. You notice how few 20-foot putts are made compared to three-foot putts. Why? Because distance increases error. And that's the same principle that applies with children. Maintaining a close relationship with your children will bless your life and help prevent some of those costly mistakes that kids can make. Embrace the priority. Enforce protection. Engage the process. And a fourth principle of parenting communicated in this text, Ephesians 6, 1-4, is to expect progress. Expect progress. We are to bring children up. Up. That's a great word. Up. Up. Parenting is ongoing, but it's also going in a positive direction. Find a way to encourage your kids. I, when my kids, when I drop them off at school every day, I used to take my kids to school every day. I'd drop them off and I'd say, be an encourager, not a discourager. When they come home, i said, say, did you make new friends today? Did you make a new friend today? Did you make a new friend today? What's their name? Where do they go? What church do they go to? Where are they from? How big are they? How ugly are they? How, how pretty are they? What color hair do they have? I'm asking them all the time, what about this? What about that? What about this? When they come home and say they found a girlfriend, I said, where'd she go to church? First thing I'd find out, I want to know what church she goes to. Well, she doesn't go to church. I said, drop her like a bad habit. And they'd look at me like, what? I said, if she don't go to church, she don't have Jesus, get rid of her. My dad, I, I like her. I said, not too bad. You can like the devil too, but you're getting rid of her. Here you go. And sure enough, you know, they'd say, now, I'm going to do what I want to. Well, man, I'm going to tell you what, right? Every time, they'd cycle back around and say, Boy, Dad, those dreaded words that kids hate to say to parents. You were. <laughs> it is terrible for a teenager to tell a dad that he's right. But dads, what do we do? We thrive on that. Amen. Oh, if you only knew. Yeah. Bring them up. Parenting's ongoing. I love the quote attributed to a former athletic director at Clemson University. When asked if he would establish a rowing team at Clemson, he said, we will not have a sport where you sit down and go backwards. <laughs> you got to get your kids moving forward. Chuck Swindoll, one of my favorite preachers and writers, he says, the greatest contribution that a parent can make is to help your child cultivate a lasting and meaningful relationship with the living God. I quote, let me put it straight and simple. If your child is launched from your nest, secure in Christ, and confident that he has been designed by God to fulfill a special calling, equipped with the tools to handle the demands of everyday life, you have done your job, parents. Dads, you've done your job. What does maturity look like? The book of Proverbs, which
which was written by King Solomon for his teenage son, identifies at least nine areas to consider when you think about maturity. Let me give them to you real quickly. Fear God. Teach your children to fear God. He says that's the beginning of wisdom. Value wisdom over riches. Value wisdom over riches. Practice moral purity. Develop discipline. Master your money. Avoid alcohol and anger. They seem to go hand in hand, don't they? Fellowship with friends, not fools. Which leads me back to six. Avoid alcohol and anger. Number eight, tame your tongue. Number nine, work hard. Not enough parents are having their kids work hard. They're kind of just floating through. That's what I love about athletics. Athletics, especially the jinx, is that that's almost your job. <laughs> because the time demands on you, you got you, if you're going to work, you're going to have to play sport. It's tough. It's tough to get all that in there. I admire parents that will stand behind their children and see the benefit of their involvement in the, the depth of the sporting events at our school. But that goes over to academics. It goes over to every phase, does it not? It's so true. Once upon a time, a farmer had three boys that worked very hard. From sunrise to sunset, the farmer and his boys worked every day except on the Lord's Day. The farmer refused to purchase some of the new technology that other farmers embraced. Years later, the farmer was at a local store discussing holiday plans with some of the men in town. He listened to sad stories of a lonely Thanksgiving and lonely Christmas. And then the wise, hard-working farmer said, Over the years, you men mocked and criticized me behind my back. But you are the ones who are blind and stupid. You have a big farm with nice equipment, but your kids never visit. While you were working to grow crops, I worked hard to grow men. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Father, I want to ask you this morning to touch the lives of everyone that's here. Everyone here has had a father to influence them. Everyone here has had a father's touch or not. Some in this room are fathers. Some in this room are desiring to be fathers. It's a daunting task. It's not an easy task. It carries great responsibility. And Father, as I look around this room, I see men that I admire. Men who have stood the test. Men who have had difficult children who have stood the test with those children. And they're seeing those children respond. Father, I would ask that you would bring a blessing upon those homes. 
Father, there may be some dads in this room that say are saying, you know, I could just use a little extra help. I'm not sure exactly what I need to do and what I've been doing I need to make some adjustment on. Well, Lord, you're ready. You're ready to help them do that. Principles in your scripture are true. I can saddle them up with three or four men right now who could help them immensely. So, Father, if that's that kind of a decision as we move to our invitation time, I would pray that you would touch those hearts. There might be someone here, Lord, that has never claimed you as their Savior and wants to respond in that way. There might be somebody here that uh, is ready to make this church their home, and we'd encourage those folks to respond. There might be just a group of folks here that, uh, one or two, that just need prayer, just need to do things better. So, Father, whatever it is that you're pricking their heart about, would they have the courage to respond? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing this song. Great song.